the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Glory be to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and ever, into the ages of all ages. Amen. Um, so, uh, the second talk is about the illusions that we have of time. I want to ask you a question. We just had lunch, and, uh, you know, the itis is settling in. So, let's do something a little interactive. What does being on time mean to you? Okay, what is it? You're going to need to get your cell phones out. We're going to do a little, uh, you know, uh, audience response thing here. The way this works, I don't know if you've used this before, uh, uh, maybe you guys are familiar already. What you do is you're going to send a text message to this person. You know, it's not a person, but like to, to this number, 37607. I, I know it's only uh, five digits, but it's like a short code. So that's the phone number you're sending it to. And then in the body of the message, you're going to put in Father John, B-O-U-T-R-O, like Father John Boutros, but minus the S at the end, 279. Okay, and then you can put in your multiple choice answer. You can only choose one. So your message will be, you'll send a message to 37607. And in the message, you're going to say Father John Boutro 279, space, your choice, A, B, C, or D. The question is, what does arriving on time to the airport for a flight mean to you? Yeah. Arriving to the airport four hours before departure, two hours before departure, one hour before departure, or at the time of boarding. I didn't put, uh, you know, 15 minutes past boarding, but, you know, and so on. And I didn't mention whether it's an international flight or domestic. I left that to you to, uh, I left that to the interpretation of the reader. So what? So we send, we send Father John Butro first? No, you send, you send a message to this person, 37607, and the answers should show up at like one second after you send it. It says the poll you should, you should register. The poll has not started? No, it's still. Okay, just a sec, let me... Uh... No, I'm done. I'm in. Oh, you're good. Okay, I just activated it again. Let's try again. Or it might be, hold on a sec. Here, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. We'll give everybody a, a couple more seconds to to answer. Anybody having difficulty with the any technical difficulties? Any anybody else having any technical difficulties? Sorry, is this an international flight or domestic? <laughs> I, I, I meant, yeah, I, I left it to the interpretation of the reader. And I didn't say whether you have luggage or you're going straight through security. There's a lot of variables, but I just, whatever, however you fly most often. Uh, I don't mean to pick on anyone, but who are the 13%? <laughs> we're not going to single anybody out, but we're going to make fun of them publicly. <laughs> Alrighty, so most people go two hours before, a meager 6% go four hours before or one hour before, and 13% actually go at, arrive at the airport at the time of boarding and consider that being on time. So, needless to say, we all have different ideas of what it means to be on time, right? So it's not unrealistic 
to think that people will be different. So me and my mother-in-law are very, very different when it comes to going to the airport. My mother-in-law knows that she comes up in almost every single sermon, actually. She's a saint. I'm pretty sure she's so wet and she can hear me right now. So <laughs> You know from experience. Yeah, so I feel actually more, more like at ease to say whatever I want because I don't feel like I'm talking behind her back. Right? <laughs> so uh, my mother also, both of them, you know, I have to be... You know, careful what I think, you know? So my mother-in-law likes to go to the airport at least four hours in advance. Whereas I, prior to marriage, would go to the airport about at the time of boarding. That was like, that was normal for me. And I've learned to adjust. So obviously upon arriving to the airport, this is my mother-in-law and this is me. <laughs> right? The Zen emoji icon for my mother-in-law and the frazzled one for me. But we change over time. Um, now, I usually go two hours before when I'm traveling with my baby, three hours before. And when I'm 60, God only knows, maybe then I'll be going four hours before. To each their own, right? But the point is, is that we're all different. We all have a different idea of what it means to be on time based on several factors such as international, domestic, flying alone, flying with somebody, luggage or not, and so on. And only you know those factors, right? In addition to your own life history and so on and what makes you you, and all of that is changing over time. I guess it's pretty fair to say that we all have different perceptions of what it means to be on time. I guess then it's also pretty fair to say that maybe God also has a different idea of what it means to be on time. But that's the problem. The problem is, is that God doesn't change over time. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Problem or blessing, one or whichever way you want to see it, you know what you can get with God because God is the same and He loves you the same and He'll treat you the same based on His goodness not based on me. And that has to do with grace again, but that's not what we're talking about, right? So how can we reconcile these two truths? That here I am, changing over time. What I expect and what I think is normal is changing over time. So even if what I expect and think is normal coincides with what God expects and considers to be normal, at one point, well, I'm going to change but he's not gonna change. So necessarily, I'm gonna have differing opinion than God at some point along the line, right? It kind of like, it's impossible if I'm changing and God isn't, that we're always gonna, we're always gonna agree. So what can we do about that? If we do a word study of the word time in, 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 the, in the Greek Bible, we'll find two different words are used, chronos and kairos. As you may or may not know, and the ancient Greeks loved personifying everything. They would take everything and they would personify it and they give it a character. So Kronos is a character and Kairos is another character. And both words, once translated to English, are translated the word time. But they obviously have different meanings, similar to how Philo, Agape, and Eros are all Greek words which are translated to English as love, but they have very different meanings. Kronos is your image of old father time, right? As, as imaged in here, you know, on the, on, on the, on the right, left side of the screen for you, um, and, uh, and here again on the left. Old father time, usually bent over, holding 
He's holding a, like a scythe or a scimitar, right? Usually a scythe like that and, and, an, and, and an hour clock here. And he is counting time. He's not just counting any time. He's counting all time, but specifically, most importantly, a specific time. He's counting your life. He knows exactly when your birthday is. He's a pagan god, of course, we don't believe, believe in this. But this is the, this is, was the meaning of the word chromos, right? He's counting your life. He knows your birthday, and he knows your day of departure. And he's counting the time, and the sand is going down the hourglass, and he's counting. And one day, when the time, when the sand is finished going down the hourglass, he's going to come. And he's going to reap with his, with his scythe, with his reaping instrument. And he's going to reap humanity, each person. Old Father Time. Other images, but I knew there may be children in the room, show him eating his children. Because he's, he, he is the one who will devour all when their time ends. Old Father Time who's counting sand grain by sand grain, and he knows the time, minute by minute, second by second. Old father time. In the, the, you know, the Romans, they just took all the Greek gods and gave them Latin names, so his name to the, in Latin is Saturn, and he's known as the, basically, the stuff that kills you. Not that he is death itself, but he is the one who announces the time and so on. Kairos, on the other hand, is this young, handsome, uh, light-footed creature, god. Um, and this is um, uh, like an epigram, like, a, like something that was written on the bottom of a, a, a carving, uh, one of the most famous ones uh, in, in Sikion in Greece. So it says, Why do you stand on tiptoe? I am ever running. Why do you have a pair of wings on your feet? I fly with the wind. And why do you hold a razor in your right hand? As a sign to men that I am sharper than any sharp edge. And why does your hair hang over your face? For him who meets me to take me by the forelock, by the lock of hair in front of, in front of me. And why in heaven's name in the back is the back of your head bald? Because none whom I have once raced by on my winged feet will now, though he wishes to soar, wishes to very much, take hold of me from behind. And why did the artist fashion you? For your sake, reader, for your sake, stranger. And he set me up on the porch as a lesson. What is this all about? There are two different concepts of eternity. One concept is that eternity is endless time. The second hand on your watch just keeps ticking and ticking and ticking and ticking and ticking and ticking forever. That's a lot of people, I could say maybe albeit most people, we could have surveyed the room um, to see, but that's what most people's image of eternity is. Another image of eternity is a single moment. So the second hand on your watch has simply stopped and will never start again. One is that time continues, and with time comes what we started off talking about with change. And another concept is that eternity is simply the, that time has stopped. So eternity in heaven would be that time has stopped in the happiest moment of your life. Most fathers adhere 
or talk about the second concept, the eternal moment, right? And that God lives in this eternal moment. But you see how the two concepts are completely different, right? Now, we have all kinds of illusions about time. I have like whole uh, talk slides, or talk um, notes prepared for each one of these points, but I, it's not the, the point of this talk. I'm just going to summarize them. One of the time is money. Who here has heard the term time is money? Everybody has, right? Time is not money. Time is time and money is money, right? You know, when my watch ticks, I don't, I don't get money unless I have some, you know, business that makes money or whatever, right? One of my friends who's a businessman would tell me the definition of being rich is making money in your sleep, right? Well, yes, but that would entail you having some kind of means of profitable, prof, like profit that makes money for you while you're sleeping. Obviously, you aren't doing very much while you're sleeping. Time is not money. Time is time and money is money. You can make money out of time. Maybe you can. Sometimes, sometimes you can make time out of money. Most of the time you can't. And in any significant kind of meaningful way in life, you certainly can't. Most people who are rich and retired and elderly wish they could go back and no amount of their money can bring them back there. My time. What am I going to do with my day? What am I going to do tomorrow? What am I going to do with my life? So, whose life is it? And that's probably what we're going to spend more of the third session talking about, so we won't talk too much about it. But I constantly say that. I constantly say, what am I going to do with my time? This isn't what I plan to do with my day when something unpredictable comes up. My time. My, my day. Is it really mine? Or is that an illusion? People should respect the time. Is it time they should respect that actually people and their time, or maybe it's not their time, but anyways, right? Or is it, the, or is it people we should be respecting, right? I need to make time to do this. None of us are creators. Sorry to break it to you. I'm not, neither are you. We can't create things, you know? We use it as a figure of speech. I'm going to make time to do this. That means I don't really have time in my schedule, but I'm going to change my schedule so that I can, so that there can be time for this. It's a figure of speech we use, I use all the time. But the reality is, I can't make any more time than there really is in a day. And there are many, many, many more illusions. But all of this, all of this speaks to the fact that there are two very differing perspectives on time, chronos and Kairos. So what's the solution? Have a plan. I'm going to get sick of seeing this slide that comes up in every talk, right? I really believe personally in intentional living. I try to do everything that I do on purpose. And if unpredictable things come up repeatedly, I try to know what I'm going to do when those unpredictable things come up. The first time, I don't always know. But I try to think about it and make the best possible plan I can. So, how can we be Kairos-focused in a Kronos world? Kairos, Kairos is really, you know, in case you didn't get it from the Greek thing, right? Kairos is, is really savoring the moment, is really being present now, is that eternal present moment. Now, forget about, about all of this for a second. Um, 
Think about this, okay? Think about the word now. I'm going to say the word now to you. Where is that word right now? I shouldn't have said it. Where is that word? In the past, present, or future? In the future. After I've said the word now, that word is in the past. So it seems like the word now is you're unable to grasp it. It's either in the future or it's in the past. Or you could say, well, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, like, was your food okay? Maybe you had some wine with lunch or something, right? I don't know. Like, are you all right? Because uh, now is just now. Like, I don't, I don't get it. What's your, what's your beef? Like, now is now, right? Yeah, now is now. Now is just now. It's not before I said it or after I said it. That's what Kairos says. That's what the eternal moment, that's what living in the present is. But then you see, through with this example, it is actually impossible, it's mutually exclusive to think of things in terms of past and future, or to think of things in terms of present. It's one system or the other. You can't do both. You can't be living in the present thinking about the past, because then the past has happened, and you're missing what is happening right now. So either you live in the present, or you live in the past and future as a bundle. But you can't do both. Does that make sense? Yeah? Anybody? No? Not really. Think of the word now. Let's do this again. When, I, when I'm about to say the word, but I haven't said it, where is that word? In the future. Now I just said the word now, twice. Where is that word? In the past. So that word is either in the future or the past. But this sounds like, like nonsense, because now is just now. Now is, you know, 2.39, and in a minute, now will be 2.40. And at 2.38, now was a minute ago, right? One system says now is just now, is an eternal present moment. The other system says that it is past and future. And that's, that's what Kronos is. Kronos is chronological. That's where the word comes from, right? I mean, you're going to think of, so you live in this eternal present of now, so when you give your taxes to your accountant, you just give them a big shoebox and tell them, well, it all happened now. So, so when it happened, it was now. So here you go. No, I file things, right? Um, and that's how I keep track of things. This is what I did, you know, three years ago. This is what I did two years ago. This is what I did last year and so on. Because I wouldn't have any way of keeping things straight in my head, right? And I would get confused. But God isn't subject to any of that. Our lives are an eternal present moment before Him. He doesn't have, He doesn't need to classify things as 2013, 2014, 2015, 2016, and so on. Because He can keep it all straight. It's like when you, look at, when you look at a painting and you can see all of it from its beginning to its end. You can see the whole thing. You don't need to classify it into little bits and pieces. Why? Because you can see the whole thing. Now suppose that this is a mural, the length of this hotel, like not this conference room, the length of the entire hotel, right? If you want to reconstruct that in your mind or if you want to reconstruct it on your computer, you're going to have to take... The, like a first image and then a second image and then a third image and so on so that you can reconstruct it and you're going to need to put them in order first, second, third, fourth and so on 
You can't possibly see them all at the same time. God is not subject to those limitations. I am, I am subject to those limitations. So we live in a Kronos world, and I'm not uh, rejecting that, and I'm not uh, fighting that, and I'm not saying that's it, we should live in this eternal present moment of now, that would be the holy thing to do, and you know, the rest of the world can just, uh, has to live with it, you know? No, we would be very disorganized, we would never be on time, we wouldn't know it. We just know what now is, we wouldn't know what an hour ago or an hour coming is, we have no, so I'm not saying that. But there is a way that we, I, can live in that eternal present moment with God. Even if I live in a Kronos world. And that's kind of what I want to talk about. Kairos is all about forethought and attentiveness. Right? If you look, if we go back to the little sculpture of, of, the, of the Kairos God, right? It says, for him who meets me to take me by my forelock. He's basically, and then he's bald on the back. So he has hair on the front, so you can catch him from the front, but you can't catch him from the back. You can't, you can't decide what you, sh what I, sh I can't decide what I should have done with my morning when it's afternoon. I have to decide what I want to do with my morning, either in early morning or the day before or something, right? I'm not saying anything that's rocket science, right? That's the idea, is that with a little bit of forethought, with a little bit of forethought, I can make the most and I can set up my day, I can set up my time, I can set up my year in such fashion that I am I'm able to, to take the opportunities that I can plan for that I know will arise. What does that amount to in practical terms? What does that amount to? For me, it amounts to goal setting. And we're going to talk more about that in the next session. To morning and evening rituals and to a start of day and end of day routines. I have to confess to you, I'm still learning and mastering um, these, these tools. But I'll tell you the truth, I, feel, I felt really when I started discovering this, a lot of this stuff in the productivity world and the entrepreneurship world and all of this stuff, right? Being a priest by myself in a church, I need to learn how to, how to run a church. And that wasn't part of my skill set prior to priesthood, right? So I read these books and stuff and I try to learn from people. Really productive, secular people have morning and evening rituals and start of workday and end of workday rituals, right? It's humbling that the church has been trying to teach me this since I was we this old, right? To pray every morning, to open my Igbeya, to have time alone with God, time to reflect, time to stop. Time to make the clock stop. But I can only do that if I plan for it. I can only wake up, I promise you, the key, the key to, my, to a good day for John Boutros, the key to a good day for John Boutros is to pray well the night before. I pray well the night before. That makes me know what I want to do the next day. It's in my time of prayer. This is personal, and then you don't have to do this. But sometime in the night before, decide what you're going to do tomorrow. That's going to dictate what time I have to wake up in the morning. That's going to dictate, you know, everything, right? As opposed to, you know, snoozing and this and that and so on. And a, a real key that worked so well for me for so long is making the first thing I do, the thing, if possible, that I'm looking forward to doing the most. So, 
I love breakfast. So I would get everything ready. I used to do this when I was working like 100 hours a week as a surgeon, right? I would get everything ready the night before, and I would my ham all chopped up and whatever, right? And I would wake up, and I would make myself an omelet before going to work. And that would get me out of bed. Because to get, out of, to get out of bed after four or five hours of sleep, to pray, unfortunately, was maybe less appealing to me than having an omelet. But I am who I am. I have to work with, I have to work with who I am. Unfortunately, I'm not St. Anthony. I like my omelet. So, I'll, I'll, I'll prepare my omelet. I'll have my omelet ready. Even maybe I'll cook my omelet. I'll do whatever it takes to get me out of bed. And then I'll go pray. Have a morning ritual, whatever you want. I highly recommend you, you have God in there somewhere. Maybe with your spiritual guide or life mentor or whatever, you can figure out how you want to set that up. And evening rituals are to say, what happened today? And if you look in the absolutions of the prime prayer and the Vestas Compline prayers, you'll find everything that belongs in a morning and evening ritual, as per all of these entrepreneurship and productivity gurus, is written right there. Like the church has been trying to tell me this my whole life, right? Morning and evening rituals. Plan. Plan, right? And once, once I get in the habit of doing it, it just becomes part of, part of what I do and part of who I am, right? And then something similar but different for the beginning of my workday and the end of my workday, right? And I'm not going to talk too much. I'm not going to talk too much about that. Now, about the attentiveness, three big things about the attentiveness. One is to pray to be a spokesperson for God in every situation and every conversation. I'm not going into this day, Lord, so that I can just be me. I mean, I, and I could do that. But I would really, Lord, like to be your ambassador. I would really like to be your voice box. As you stand silent in every conversation, Lord, I would love to speak up for you if you so wish. I'm not talking about like standing up for the faith or preaching against whatever. I mean, when people are having a discussion, maybe God has an opinion, right? Maybe he wants me to say it for him, right? And being attentive to the inner stirrings of the Spirit in our heart throughout our day. The second thing is living in the moment. My wife taught me when we were still courting that the interaction is more important than the transaction. And I've been saying it since. My dad used to tell me, if you've gotten into an argument, you've lost already. Because you may win the argument, but you will lose the person. Don't argue with people. Right? And he made it into some of the most senior ranks of a multinational engineering firm. Win people, you'll win every argument. And the last thing is to reorder the hierarchies in our life. God comes before people. People come before myself. Myself comes before stuff, and stuff comes before pleasure. I want to talk about these three things a little bit more, but I actually want to talk about them in the opposite order. So let's talk about reordering the hierarchy. And how are you going to remember it? I was thinking to myself, how are people going to remember this? Well, you may have heard the very simple acronym JOY, Jesus, Others, Yourself. Starts with that, and then, remember the temptations of Christ? They amounted to self, stuff, and pleasure. Okay, so that's a really easy way to remember these five things and what order that 
I want them to be in in my life. You can put them in whatever order you want in your life, but I strongly recommend this order, right? Jesus says, when he's questioned about what are the what are the, the, the most important commandments? He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Look at that. I highlighted it in a color that you can actually see, huh? Right? Love the Lord your God, then love your neighbor. Right? And on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Then comes the temptations of Christ. I'm going to tell you a little secret. There are only three kinds of temptations in this world. There are three categories, and the devil just dresses them up in different costumes for us, depending on, you know, am I glutton for sleep, or am I glutton for food, or am I glutton for this, whatever. But, you know, he dresses up pleasure for me in the way that I'm most likely to succumb, right? And, you know, the, the kind of smart people in the world have... Um, basically summarize them for us as hedonism, humanism, and materialism. Jesus gets tempted to turn stones to bread, throw yourself off this high temple mount, which is kind of like almost central in Jerusalem, and uh, everyone will see you, and will, the angels will pick you up, and they'll all clap for you, and everybody will, will love you, right? So you know yourself. So pleasure, self, bow to me, and I will give you the whole world, right? Materialism. Right? If you, look, if you look in Genesis at the temptation to Eve, you find the same things. When, the, when she has the little discourse with the serpent, she looks at the fruit and she sees that it is good for food, pleasant to the eyes, and desirable to make one wise. Same three things. If you look in 1 John chapter 2, right, says, For the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. These are from the devil and not, uh, these are uh, of the world. Right? And if you look at 2 Timothy, where St. Paul is talking about the end times, it says in the end times, people will be lovers of money, lovers of themselves, and boasters are proud. Right? The same three things. They just come up again and again and again. And you know what the beauty of it is? Jesus overcame. Why was Jesus tempted? He was tempted so he could overcome temptation and show us the path that we could follow him in. Very simple. The, re the remedies for temptation, for hedonism, which is turn stones to bread, Right? Pleasure is man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word which proceeds from the mouth of God. Next time you're really tempted to have a second helping and you, and you know you shouldn't. Some of you are allowed to have second helpings. I'm not. Right? When you're tempted to have, when I'm tempted to have that second helping, read three chapters of the Bible. See what happens. Read four or five chapters of the Bible. Everybody's different. Right? See what happens. Read them quickly. It doesn't matter if you don't understand anything. Read attentively. If you understand, fantastic. If you don't understand, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Because it's the living word of God. And it will conquer temptation. Guaranteed. Try it and tell me if it works. Right? Humanism. Right? So this is God is pleasure. This is God is me. Right? Throw yourself from the mountain, uh, from the top of the temple. Everybody will see you. The angels will pick you up. They will love you. Everybody will clap. Hooray. Right? Jesus says to him, it is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Right? Remember, remember who God is. A moment of praise. A moment of praise when I'm tempted to make myself God changes everything. Because I stop praising myself and I start praising God. What is praise? To put God on the throne. Right? What is that practically? Can I tell you a secret I discovered recently? I heard my spiritual father saying this. I took 
he was visiting, I took him to go do some visitations with me. And so he was telling somebody in a visitation, we should make an active effort to praise God every day. So the person asked, well, how? What should I do? And I was like, oh, that's a good question. How? I was shocked at the simplicity of the answer, and I felt so humbled. He said, every day, like every weekday, or day of the week, sorry, including the weekends, there's a different praise for Jesus. Called, it's called the Psali of the day. You'll find it in Midnight Praises on your on Coptic reader. Look it up. If you know the tune, you can sing it. If you like to sing, if you don't like to sing, just stand before God and read it to Him. You know? Read, just, just, just read it. That will conquer the temptation to put the focus on me. Materialism. Bow before me, I'll give you the whole world. What more materialism is that? I want a better car, I want a bigger house. Well, I want a bigger house, I want the whole street, I want the town, I want the world, right? I'll give you the whole world, right? Satan says, what does he say? Away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. I have seen, God help me, the most um, people living in the most luxury I have ever seen in my life come and serve the poor and give them everything and change their life one million percent. Service, going out and putting our love for people in action, crushes our desire for stuff. So, that reordering that hierarchy again, Jesus, others, myself, my stuff, and then pleasure. And those last three, self, stuff, and pleasure, they're not always bad, but they can be. And if they're bad, these are the tools. This is, these are the tools to avoid temptation. The other two things I talked about being attentive and living in the moment. Pray to be God's spokesperson. Ezekiel, in Ezekiel 22, it says, I sought for a man among them who will make a wall and stand in the gap for me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it. But I found no one. I found no one. In Romans, St. Paul is saying, How shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in, whom, in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Okay, you're going to tell me, but Abuna, you are a preacher. That's your job. You, 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 you're, you're, you know, you're trained to do this, you got a lot of practice, I'm not. Uh, you know, you, 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 you read the Bible, all, you read books, all this stuff. I, I don't have, I have, I have kids, I have a family, I have responsibilities, I have a business, I have this, I don't have time for this, right? I agree. I tell you the truth, I tell you the truth, I agree with you. But do you know any good thing that you can say to somebody? I, I tweet occasionally. I should try to be more regular because I, I try to, I don't tweet like, oh, I'm eating pizza now, I'm eating ice cream now. I tweet like, you know, Bible verses, patristics, and it's whatever useful things I read, but sometimes I, sometimes I just forget and I don't for a while. The, the, just yesterday or the day before, I tweeted from Galatians, where, it's, where in Galatians chapter 6, where St. Paul says, do not grow weary in doing good, for in due time you will have your reward. And I just tweeted something along the lines of good things are coming your way. 
something that sounds like you read it in a fortune cookie or something, right? You know? With a picture verse there. And it's been retweeted like five, six times, which is a lot for, you know, my, you know, I'm not like, you know, I'm not like uh, Donald Trump here, you know? Right? Jesus says, I was hungry and you fed me. You don't have to preach a sermon. You don't have to, you can just, you can just buy your colleague a coffee because he looks a little, you know, not as, you know, perky as he should be, right? You can just, you can just, you know, your, your, your colleague comes late to the office and you see your boss walking by, so you take your coat and just throw it on his chair. You know, it looks like you went to the washroom or something. Cover for him. You know, the same way Amba Macarius covered for that, for that monk who was, who was sinning. And so on, right? Can do little things. Little things that bring glad, glad tidings of good things. Lastly, remember this eternal present of moment of now. God is here right now with me. And that is enough, right? Also, it's helpful for me to remember that God has a season for everything. Ecclesiastes 3, there's a time to love and a time to hate and a time to... And, and Jesus also tells us not to worry about tomorrow, for it will worry about itself. And that sounds all very nice and good, right? But how? How? It's easier said than done. Oh, don't worry. Sure, I'll never worry again, right? Of course not, right? Jesus always, he gives us the answer right after. He tells us, that, gives us the answer right after. If I just set my eyes on the kingdom and on his righteousness, on his righteousness is the word we use all the time and nobody knows what it means. It means God making everything right. Like right in the sense of not right and wrong, but correct. If something is askew, right, and your, your alignment is off in the car and then you take it to the shop and they make it, you make your car straight, you know? His righteousness. He, he is good and he's going to make everything good, right? and I seek his kingdom, and all of these other things will come in due time. Glory be to God forever and ever.